preserving limbs, and avoiding repeat revascularization in patients with PAD. Hello, I'm Dr. Sonia Anand, a professor of medicine at McMaster University in Canada, and I was a lead investigator in the COMPASS and Voyager trials. I'm pleased to be here to speak with Dr. Bowersachs today on the Voyager PAD trial. So my name is Rupert Bowersachs. I'm a vascular physician from Germany, and I work at the Cardiovascular Center Petanian in Frankfurt in Germany. Sonia, I have a question. Um, what is the most important objective for your patients with symptomatic PAD to undergo peripheral revascularization? So I think we all, when we first see a patient with symptomatic PAD, we just have to determine how symptomatic they are. So questions around walking distance, uh, initiating claudication, as well as asking about night pain or rest pain and non-healing ulcers. I think that helps us all try and determine just are our patients stable intermittent claudication or critical limb ischemia type patients. In those patients who have severe symptoms, uh, we all likely do some additional testing and try and correlate you know, the degree of stenosis with symptoms and then make a decision if they require revascularization or if they will benefit by revascularization. So I think those are very important considerations, but also because I'm on the medical side, I do take note of what medications the patient's on. Can I optimize those medications? And if they can, I really do promote walking because we have excellent evidence that walking and supervised exercise program does improve symptoms as well. That's exactly the reason why the patient comes to see a vascular physician. Um, and, and, but I mean, you touched on the medical part of it. Uh, I think that many patients and even some doctors are not aware that those PD patients really have a very high risk, not, not only for the leg, but also for their general, you know, major adverse cardiac system um, and may have events here. Yeah, I think, you know, we've seen both sides. So I work with a lot of cardiologists. They only think about MI, stroke, and cardiovascular complications, but they often don't think about the limb complications like acute limb ischemia amputation. On the flip side, the surgeon may only be thinking about the limbs and not be aware that their patients are at higher and quite high risk for MI, stroke, cardiovascular death. So I think we're in an era now that Whoever sees a PAD patient has to consider and understand that their patient is high risk for both types of events. For the COMPASS study, you really had looked at um, the, the complication rate for major adverse cardiac events and major adverse limb events. Um, and now, if you would say a little bit about those complication rates on those patients, they were treated well. They were in baseline treatment, good treatment with statins, ACE inhibitors, ARBs, and so on. Um, but still, in the aspirin-only arm, they had a, quite some complications. I would say that's a good point. The incidence risk of MACE or MALE, which would be CV death, MI, stroke, acute limb ischemia, major amputation was close to 10% at two years. So 10% at two years for those well-medicated patients on aspirin. Yeah. And that's where we did observe that the rivaroxaban at low dose plus aspirin 
is associated with a 28% reduction from that 10%. So that really demonstrated first that these patients are high risk for mace or male, and second that low dose rivaroxaban and aspirin is definitely more effective than a single aspirin alone. That was for the for the primary endpoint, but how about the the leg events like acute limb ischemia or major uh, amputation? Yeah. So um, when I mentioned the 28% reduction, it's for that composite of mace or male. But if we just separated out the reduction, for example, in major vascular amputation, it's hard to believe, but it was 45% reduction. Yeah. And that's, you know, if you think about the events patients want to avoid, it's avoid dying, avoid having a stroke and avoid having an amputation. So this was, you know, quite an astounding observation. Yeah, and this then is, we uh, waited for Voyager to say, okay, we had this profound reduction in amputation in Compass. Are we going to see this in Voyager as well? We were all waiting for that. And Rupert, you played a substantial role in that trial. Yeah, we're really moving from the chronic patient. I would not say stable patient. Chronic patient, because they're not stable, as you just pointed out, to those patients after lower extremity revascularization. And we know that after revascularization, the risk is again increasing substantially for acute limbus uh, complications, like it's fourfold increased. And, and we all know from clinical experience, if a patient presents with acute limb ischemia, usually at the middle of the night or so, this is really severe. It's almost like acute STEMI, you know, uh, high complication rate, high surgery, uh, uh, need for surgery, and high mortality, high hospitalization rate and and so voyager really with that basis of the compass study set out to look at patients specifically immediately after lower extremity revascularization so within the first 10 days they were patients were started on rivaroxaban 2.5 milligram twice daily the vascular dose versus placebo and that was on top of aspirin for everybody Clopidogrel was allowed at the discretion of the um, investigators uh, in about 50% of the patients. And the results um, were really surprising. We saw a very high event rate in the aspirin arm, uh, the patients receiving only aspirin. And remember, half of the patients in addition received clopidogrel. They had almost a 20% event rate, limb events, and major adverse cardiac events. Uh, after three years, very high rate. And, and that was reduced substantially um, by rivaroxaban uh, with an absolute risk reduction of 2.6%. Great, yeah, I mean, that was uh, really something. And as you know, we recently put Compass and Voyager trials together in a meta-analysis and showed just wonderful consistency in the reduction of these important cardiovascular as well as limb events. So, you know, with the 7,500 patients from Compass and the 6,500 patients from Voyager, we have large and consistent results and I think make translating it into practice so much easier. And, you know, if I were a surgeon seeing uh, a patient with PAD after revascularization, what would I do? And we all face this. You know, in the patient who had critical limb ischemia or needed revascularization for symptomatic management, if they are not high risk for bleeding, the low-dose rivaroxaban aspirin combination is 
you know, should be the number one thought. Uh, the only time I would second guess it would be if the patient actually presented with acute limb ischemia, and that's why you revascularize them. You might be choosing a different, more potent uh, anticoagulant. Uh, or as I mentioned, if a patient has a high risk for bleeding, you might think about that. But Rupert, I wonder if you could just explain at the, the beginning of Voyager, we wondered what would the bleeding risk be in a post-op patient who we start on more potent uh, anticoagulant therapy than an aspirin. We were a little bit worried that will there be more bleeding at the surgical site? What did you what did you see in Voyager? Yeah, and that's really striking um, because of course, we were afraid that, you know, you start uh, on top of aspirin, on top of clopidogrel in, in half of the patients, you start um, with rivaroxaban. But in fact, the, the principal safety outcome, kidney major bleeding, was not statistically significantly different. So um, it was numerically increased with a hazard ratio of 1.43, but there was no statistically significant difference. Um, even though that half of the patients started on day five after low extremity revascularization. And we knew from, I mean, there are, unfortunately, we only, we had no single study or evidence-based treatment before Voyager. So there was the CASPER study, looking whether the addition of clopidogrel to aspirin would improve the outcome. Dual antiplatelet treatment, no effect, but it increased gustal bleeding by a factor of almost three. And, and using anticoagulation, full anticoagulation in those surgical patients with the Dutch BOA trial, no different, did not help, uh, but increased cerebral bleeding by a factor of more than three. So that's why we were afraid in Voyager. This was not the case. And the take back bleeds, bleeding that occurred after surgery, were very low and not different from placebo. So I think that that's where you know, when we present this formally with slides, we all say that this low-dose rivaroxaban aspirin combination has really hit that sweet spot, the ideal point at which we can lower recurrent ischemic events and minimize any bleeding. So we, we see an increase in some types of bleeding, but not the severe types of bleeding, such as in cranial hemorrhage or fatal bleeding or critical organ bleeding. So it really is um, an optimal therapy. and I think both Compass and Voyager has shown that if bleeding occurs, it usually occurs in the first year. And thereafter, a patient without bleeding in the first year really uh, is a low risk for any bleeding thereafter. And that means that the net clinical benefit of this therapy, so it's continuing to prevent ischemic events and essentially the bleeding risk is, is plateaued, means net clinical benefit increases over time. So if we're asked the question, how long should our PAD patients be on this dual pathway therapy? Well, if they meet the entry criteria for either Compass or the Voyager trial, then it is a long-term therapy. I think it's good that you pointed out if there's a bleeding, it may be front-loaded, but the benefit really is long-term. And, and that's, I think, very interested, interesting to look at those total event analysis. Remember that all these uh, primary results that we published were on first event, time to first event. But we know from clinical practice, a patient with PAD after revascularization, it's not a first event. They come back, unfortunately, they come back, may come back in the middle of the night or so with acute limb ischemia, or they may suffer other severe complications. So 
if you analyze total events, you see that those patients have after the first, second, third, they have three or four events. And if you add it together, you get something like more than 30 events per 100 patients um, over the course of time with a dramatic reduction with rivaroxaban. And if you add you know, other vascular events like additional limb revascularization, venous thromboembolism, you end up with 88 in the placebo, in the, in the placebo group, aspirin and clopidogrel, uh, 88 events per 100 patients. So that's kind of shows um, what this high complication fate is in those patients. And that was dramatically reduced absolute risk reduction 12.5 with rivaroxaban. So unfortunately, that's the patients are coming back if they don't get the appropriate treatment. Yeah, and I think, Rupert, you published a paper on the total events uh, that perhaps uh, our listeners can look up after this uh, podcast, because that really makes the point that you just did. Uh, if they want more details and nice graphs, if I recall. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think if we could take a moment to just talk about acute limb ischemia, because both Compass and Voyager did, you know, we learned a lot about acute limb ischemia. Uh, Rivaroxaban and aspirin is very effective at preventing acute limb ischemia. And what we observed in COMPASS in a subgroup analysis was even if a person developed acute limb ischemia on aspirin and rivaroxaban, it was less severe than if they had developed it on aspirin alone. And so not only does it reduce acute limb ischemia events in the first place, if they occur, they're less severe, it seems, than if the patient were on aspirin alone. And ALI, as you mentioned at the beginning, it's like the ST elevation MI in cardiology. Yeah. The prognosis after ALI uh, is very poor, generally, with repeat hospitalizations, repeat events, and a high risk of major vascular amputation. So any strategy we have that can prevent ALI is something we need to consider. Yeah, I think these data are so impressive and, and we always felt it, it that way, but now we have it really based on, uh, on these data and, and I recommend to look at that outcome after acute limb ischemia as you analyzed it and, and this great tenfold increase of major amputation, mortality, hospitalization, that's really dramatic. And that did not occur with when the patients were on rivaroxaban. Uh, and with rivaroxaban, it happened, acute limb ischemia happened, uh, um, as you pointed out earlier, almost 50% um, less. And, you know, we're often asked, how will the Voyager trial change our clinical practice? And I wonder if we could speak for a moment about the trial, just to remind people that both uh, patients undergoing surgical revascularization as well as endovascular revascularization were enrolled into Voyager. Uh, these patients were stratified by the type of intervention. And were the benefits of dual pathway inhibition, the rivaroxaban and aspirin, the same in both the surgical and the endovascular patient? Yeah, very important point. First of all, it's a, a huge study with a, with a very large 6,500 patients, more than that, and one third were surgical patients. So we have a, a huge population of, of vascular surgery patients and the vascular patients and the rivaroxaban effect on reducing limp and MACE events was the same. Um, 
even though, um, as we know, uh, in the patients undergoing surgery, the event rate was even higher. Um, and, and the bleeding was even lower in the surgical patients. It was very low. There's no difference uh, with the severe bleedings and, and with um, Timmy major bleeding. And, and of course, I think it's important for the practical considerations when to start uh, with this treatment to look also what was done in the study. Uh, patients were allowed to be enrolled within the first 10 days. And, and it was started after hemostasis occurred. So if the drains were okay, um, if there was no hematoma after, after endovascular treatment, um, the treatment was started. And I said the median uh, starting point was five days, was early, of course, in the endovascular patients. So it was started quite early when, um, uh, when hemostasis occurred. And now, that's always what I observed uh, in the past, that especially surgeons were really unsure how to do the antithrombotic treatment because there are no studies. And so there was always a discussion, should we use DAPT? Um, should we use anticoagulation? And they used heparin for a certain time and heparin, low molecular heparin can accumulate in those very sick patients, um, as we know. And now it's a clear strategy. I mean, you just look, is this patient stable? Is there any, any hematoma? Uh, is hemostasis? And then you can start with the treatment. So it makes things a lot easier and safer. Yeah. And I, I think uh, we're often asked about that clopidogrel. Like, did it make any difference uh, by adding clopidogrel? Did it enhance the effect of rivaroxaban and aspirin or not? And I think just to restate, we really didn't see any advantage of adding clopidogrel to the rivaroxaban and aspirin uh, combination. And you know, sometimes people who are used to using it in endovascular procedures find that difficult to understand. <laughs> we did see that the majority of our patients, um, interventionalists, used clopidogrel for just 30 days and then stopped it. And we didn't observe that it changed the efficacy of rivaroxaban and aspirin, and it didn't change the bleeding of uh, the combination when we, we conduct our usual statistical test for interaction. So it seems like it, it didn't really change things either way. And we've got the strongest data with rivaroxaban and aspirin together. And then the final comment I'd make about which patients do we choose? Sometimes we're asked about the venous grafts versus the prosthetic grafts for the surgical revast. And I think one of our colleagues has presented this at a surgical meeting that first point is, as everybody knows, and Voyager reaffirms, patients with prosthetic grafts have higher rates of acute lymphedema and reocclusion compared to the venous graft. So that kind of reiterates what we already know. But this dual pathway inhibition seems to be effective in both types. Yeah, so absolutely. again, yeah. that shouldn't be yeah. a reason to not use it. Yeah. And, and I want to just add something on the clopidogrel. Um, yeah. Because what we saw is really when you went over this one month, the investigators and the doctors were allowed to use it for six months, up to six months, clopidogrel on top of aspirin and Riva. Um, and so what we saw, if it was beyond four weeks, then the bleeding risk with clopidogrel um, really increased. And again, we do not have any evidence, zero evidence 
uh, on the usefulness of DAP and, and the addition of clopidogrel after lower extremity revascularization. No data, and the, the only data that we have after surgery were negative with an increased risk of bleeding. So uh, I think that those are the main considerations. Rupert, just to wrap up, when you're talking to different surgeons, uh, what is the most common question you're asked about Voyager? When to start, that was one. And I think many are impressed by the data and, and uh, I think we can look at the studies. Um, they are impressed by the data and, and I think they are relieved because um, there are so many different antithrombotic feelings and treatments and pathways. And, and if there's one vessel on the calf and if there's below the knees only one or three, you have to do this and that without any evidence. And now there's a clear evidence-based um, treatment for those patients. Um, and, and you don't have to do any guessing or any opinions. It's, um, it makes it a lot clearer and easier. And, and I'll just conclude by saying that sometimes our surgeons were reluctant to initiate the antithrombotic therapy because they were worried what the cardiologist might say or you know, the medical specialist involved might say, uh, but really now with Compass and Voyager, we know that you can be the cardiologist and start dual pathway inhibition or the vascular surgeon yep. or vascular medicine specialist and start dual pathway inhibition and know that you're doing good for both territories. So there doesn't need to be that concern about what will the other type of specialist say because yeah. it has positive benefits for all vascular territories. I think that's a very important point because I, I assume that the vascular surgeon really is concerned about his bypass and it's a, a, was a hard work and he wants to uh, keep that running and, and we have the data that's the case. So he doesn't need to get up uh, in the middle of the night for treating acute limb ischemia. But at the same time, he does something you know, for the heart for this high cardiovascular risk in those patients. Um, and I think that's, that's very helpful. Um, and, and it makes things easy and evidence-based uh, and safe. So there we have it. I think we've covered a lot of issues today and hopefully our listeners have found it informative. We've written a lot of papers to back up what we said. So hopefully if you want more information, you can go into the, the literature. Thank you very much. This podcast is funded by Bayer AG and the approval code is PPXARALL24471.